Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Toro. For more than a century, with cutting-edge turf equipment and irrigation solutions, Toro has had your front nine covered and your back nine too. In fact, Toro's always had your back, period. Toro is as committed to your long-term success as tour pros are committed to their shot. That's down to top-notch customer support from Toro and its dedicated local distributors, both of whom are passionate about delivering turf equipment and irrigation solutions that solve real-world problems. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor today. All right, we're back with another edition of our Superintendent Series. Today, I speak with Bob Random, a legend on Long Island, recently retired uh, golf course superintendent. He was at Garden City Men's Club and then Atlantic for the remainder of his career, 30 plus years. Bob is a uh, very well known on Long Island and now is uh, in the phase of his life where he's going and seeing tons of golf courses. He was excellent on this podcast. So many stories. Could have talked to him for hours. I hope you guys enjoy. I want to wish everybody a happy new year. I'm uh, I'm very excited about 2021. I'm excited 2020 is past us. And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening, supporting the podcast, and reading The Fried Egg. 2020 was a, albeit with all the different things that happened, it was a very challenging year. But from our standpoint, you, you know, you guys really supported us and, uh, and allowed us to keep going. So appreciate all the support. And without further ado, here is Bob Ranham. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. So, your uh, retirement. How's it been? It's been good. It's been actually 15 months. The day after that party uh, was when my last day I moved on. Um, and I actually, I, I thought I would, after 43 years as a superintendent at two clubs only, uh, I thought it would be a little tougher, but I've been so busy. I mean, with a little consulting, but I really enjoyed being a panelist for Golf Magazine and getting to know Rand really well and traveling and seeing golf courses. I've it just has taken up so much of my time and I've enjoyed it so much. And then also going back to Southampton in the summers is always fun to play golf there. Not many places that are better to spend a summer playing golf than Southampton, huh? No, I love Southampton golf club. I've been a member there 28 years and then Atlantic gave me a membership, uh, honorary membership there, as you probably saw in the videos. Um, so that's really fun to go back and play, um, and see what they're doing there. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, so you've been uh, you've been traveling around. You're doing what you never had time to do as a superintendent: play a bunch of golf and a bunch of golf courses. You know, in the summer, um, what what are some of the courses that you visited that have made the biggest impression on you this year? Uh, well, what's interesting was um, I did I did nine states, forty golf courses that I've never seen before. And I kind of do it in a unique way is I, I go through the golf course superintendent and I try to meet him first thing in the morning at his club. And I'm always amazed on every superintendent, how enthusiastic and, and, and about their club and the things they're doing. It's just great to see. 
And then I'll spend the morning with them. And then I usually will go have lunch or something in the town to see how the town is. And then in the afternoon, I'll carry my bag and, and play late afternoon to see everything. So doing that, it's just been really fun to meet so many different new superintendents. The ones that I, out of the 40 I saw, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, yeah. but two stand out. I fell in love with Hollywood Golf Club in Jersey, the old Travis Golf Course. I thought the work that Tom Doak's people did there was absolutely phenomenal. The interesting green complexes, the mounding and the bunkering on a flat piece of land just blew me away. Everything about it, I was so impressed. Um, I've been back again to see it, to make sure I get it right. So if I like something a lot, I'd like to go back two or three times to see it. And I love that. And since I was the superintendent of Garden City Golf Club for 13 years, having the Travis was, was really interesting. Then the other one that really got me was Essex Golf Club outside of Boston. Yeah. Old Donald Ross. Um, very untouched. The superintendent there kept it very lean, kept it very hungry. They haven't done a lot of work through architectures, uh, other architects coming in. So I really, really felt. So if you have had a pick two out of the nine states that I never saw before, obviously, they would be my highlight two golf courses. It's funny. I make a list of five courses every year that I want to see. And obviously this year kind of got screwed up a little bit. Uh, we had a kid and, you know, the, the pandemic. Oh, congratulations. Um, but the, uh, on that list of five courses were Hollywood and Essex. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it's like Essex has been on there for a few years and I just haven't gotten up to Boston. But, you know, that's it, it's uh, Essex is such a cool story, too, because it's, you know, it's one of the few courses that Ross lived on. And, and those yep. always have a, a little bit more... Uh, character than the uh the ones he didn't live on because of how much time he spent there no i i was very very impressed i liked it and i spent that whole when i get to an area i like to spend at least a week or two weeks in an area to see as much golf in that area as i can and uh that was pretty neat everything about it and this and they were just doing some great tree removal work there to expose the expose outcropping of rocks I was really impressed. That will be one that I will go back again to see this year. You're retired, so I, I'm interested. You saw, you met a ton of supers. I'm sure you talked a lot of shop uh, with them. You then you see their courses. You see what they're doing. Was there anything that you picked up visiting 40 courses, new courses that had, if you were still working, you would be taking back to Atlantic? Um, you know what? I, I'm always impressed with the superintendents. I'm very big on, um, I guess, being at Garden City Golf Club and very big on low fertility and low water. Playing conditions mean everything to me. It's not a visual thing, a golf course to me. It's more about how it plays, that it's firm and the greens are at a speed that they should be at, you know, not too fast on some undulations. So I, I, there were some things that I would, you know, I didn't really would bring back. But there would be some things I would have changed when I went to those places, which are just for me. But uh, most of them were really good. I tried to see a lot of them in July and August when they were under the most stress because, you know, in the fall, it is what it is. I want to see how they're playing in the peak of the season. So I spent a lot of time traveling in the Northeast, July and August, and then in Florida and Georgia and South Carolina over the winter months. So I kind of do that, but that's an interesting question. I don't, 
I don't really think I saw too much. Um, maybe I should have looked a little harder and thought about that, but I didn't. <laughs> you know, I could have given you that that question ahead of time. It might have helped out. Uh, something you t- talked about just. The idea of play uh, of providing a playing surface versus a a visual aesthetic, um, in in your long career, talk about the different things that you did um, to provide that. And I'm curious if you know from a club standpoint, a member standpoint, if there ever was pushback about you know, hey, why can't our course look as green as this course, you know, just because that's something that's a little bit easier to pick up on. And maybe people don't, you know, some people didn't understand that you're playing, providing a playing surface rather than a, an aesthetic. Yeah. Well, I'm, I always said, I always, I've had 15 assistants move on as superintendents. And one of the things I always try to teach them is a visual golf course is great on the first team. You look at it and it's pretty and green and everything, but a, a good a player walks off the golf course with the way the golf course played. So obviously if a golf course is firmer and the greens are at a good speed and they're smooth, um, the bunkers are bunkers, you know, uh, are what they are. So I always try to go with a low fertility, low water, and try to teach my membership how those things, even though there's not perfect out there and there's some brown spots and there's some other things, that that ball, when you hit it, can react. It's like a nice, firm fairway hitting to a firm green will react. And then the hurt is if you miss the fairway and you're in a rough, even if the rough is tight, we used to keep our rough at an inch, you still get a flyer lie and you can't hold it on to a firm green. So when you really think of it that way on how a, a player will play that golf course and what you want to produce, that's really the most important thing. You cannot accomplish that by fertility. You can't and overwatering. So you have to be really restrictive of your fertility and you have to be really restrictive of your water and spend a lot of time making sure that the playing surface is good. After 43 years, I didn't always accomplish that, but that was always my goal set every spring. Mm-hmm. It, you talked about communicating with your membership and committees. Uh, what what were some things over the forty three years that you learned about that, and you know, and it, maybe some best practices, and sometimes that it didn't work out as well as you w- had hoped. Well, I've always been a big believer in communication between me and my membership. One of the things I always like to do is be on the first tee. I always call it the boys' club. There's always groups of, of, of club at a private club that kind of play there Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday game, and they're the most vocal. So I always made sure after I got my men set up, I'd be on the first tee communicating with them. And I'd do certain things like, let's say, if someone said, you know, Bobby, that, that cross bunker on number 12, I was in it yesterday and, you know, I had no sand in it, or blah, blah, blah. Well, I would make sure as soon as I heard that, that I would go out there, check that bunker, fix that bunker and be there when he came through to say, you know, so-and-so check it out. Now they love that communication. Members love to be heard. They just want them. Sometimes they are complaining just to be heard. And if you hear them and do that. So there was sometimes when somebody would say to me that, um, but a golf course isn't playing very firm today. I'm not getting the role I used to go and I might get my, back up and then I would say okay let's go to the first hole I want to see you hit a ball and I would have them hit a ball and I would have my assistant down there measuring the roll <laughs> and I would always win most of the time but I think looking back on it 
I probably shouldn't have embarrassed that member so much because he probably still holds it against me. <laughs> that's, that's that's classic. <laughs> Somebody out there measuring it. Uh, oh, it was a great thing. I remember that day like it was yesterday. And actually, that member still likes me for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, they were heard. They were listened. You spent you spent a lot of time on their complaint, you yeah. know? And it was funny because the president of the club at the time, we were on the first tee and we got our drivers. These drivers are all out and everybody's ready to hit balls. And the president's driving by and he looks at my assistant and says, uh, what's going on? He goes, you don't want to know. Keep driving. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I was, uh, I've heard a lot of stories from fellow superintendents that you've been one of the most requested guests on here. And, um, I, I really want to, I want to hear your story of the, the, your initial redesign of garden city. So you were a young superintendent at this point, your first head superintendent job. And, uh, and I, I'd love to hear the initial redesign efforts at Garden City, how they came about, what they what happened, and then you know, kind of the the fallout of this. Well, it was funny. Uh, when I first got to Garden City, I was 23 years old. 19, it was uh, 78, 1978. Young kid, didn't know much. I don't know how I got lucky enough to get the opportunity to get the job, but I did. And the first two or three years, it was all about airification, trying to get thatch out, trying to firm the golf course up, get the greens good. And I think by the third year, I pretty much had the golf course playing fairly good. And one winter, I was up at the clubhouse. And if you know Garden City Clubhouse, it's a great old clubhouse. And I went up in the attic and I found all these old pitches. And back in, remember, back in 78, architecture wasn't a big, big thing like it is now. And I found these great pictures and I'm like, look, and I said, boy, this second hole doesn't look anything like this. Well, the ninth hole looks nothing like this anymore. So I get my crew, little crew together and I go out to the second hole and I dig new bunkers on my own and I cut them all out and I put them together. And then I go to the ninth hole and there was no waste bunker and I dug the waste bunker and I planted little, little blue stem. And I did this all in the winter. Well, the spring came, members came out in April. I heard a little fuss about it, not a lot. All of a sudden, about June came, and my green chairman, Tom Poole, calls me and says, Bobby, we have a little problem. I said, what? And he goes, we saw the changes you did, and a lot of the members are complaining. We need to bring you to the board and talk to you. So I turned to my wife, and I said, this could be a short career. <laughs> so I get over there. I get in front of the board, and we're all sitting around the board, and all these guys are staring at me, and I'm like, oh, man, this ain't good. All of a sudden, they throw a magazine across at me from the Met Golfer. And on the cover, it says Garden City Golf Club getting better every year. And the only two pitches they showed were the two pitches that I did. So they said, OK, we get it. We know that you love architecture. We know you think we should rework, but you can't do this on your own. So you're in charge now to find an architect. So I was out interviewing architects and we were going through a bunch of them. And nobody really got Garden City. Nobody really got what it was because, you know, Garden City is very great golf course, but you really have to look at it to see all the little things about it. So we go through and I finally get PB Dye to interview PB Dye. So we, PB and I go out and play golf. And I hear, I'm just hearing him. And I don't want to say the things he said, but he's saying things that I just don't agree with. I don't agree with. So we get on the 18th hall, we go have lunch and he turns to me at lunch. He says, you don't like me very much, do you? And I said, nah, not at all. <laughs> I said, you're not, you're not. This. So he goes, I got a guy for you. He goes, he worked for my dad, just got back from Europe, Tom Doak. And he goes, I think you two guys will get along great. 
So that's hence we got Tom Doak in there and we Tom and I got along great. I remember a lot of afternoons talking to him and just rapping about architecture and having a grand old time. And I think we've had a kind of a nice communication between the two of us over the years. So that's pretty much how it went with Garden City. And then Tom came in and kind of took over everything and started making it right. I I had heard a story that he wrote a letter to Tom Poole that said uh, about Garden City that you should hire me because for the simple reason that I will do nothing to your golf course. And that's the best thing that you can do, right? Well, that's not exactly how it went. What happened is when we brought Tom in for the interview, as you know, Tom, he's very quiet. And we sat at the board meeting and we, we, the board interviewed him. He didn't say much. So then Tom is like, this guy, what are we going to do? I said, well, let's go, we gotta go play golf with him, Tom. So we go out and we play 18 holes of golf with him. And then again, doesn't say much on the whole round. Doesn't even, I always kid, doesn't say like good shot. And then we just have a great time together. And I said to him at the end of the round, I said, Tom, what do you think? And he says, I think we got to be really careful. This is really good. We have to slow down and make sure that we don't screw anything up. And I turned to Tom and I said, that's the guy we got to hire. And that's pretty much. Now, I didn't see the letter part of it. He might have sent that later to Tom that I never got to see. But that's how we kind of really kind of got connected with him. At least that's my version. <laughs> what What were your first impressions of Tom when he when he showed up? Uh, well, it's this is a probably this might end Tom and I's relationship, <laughs> but I'm going to give it to you anyhow. So now we're waiting. We're waiting. I'm waiting in the front door of the men's club, as you know, and this guy comes by and I don't even notice him. I actually thought he was like the UPS kid or something delivering a package. And all of a sudden he came, tapped me on the shoulder. He says, Bob, I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm Tom Duck. I said, oh, okay. And he was very young looking then. And I obviously was very young too. So I said, Tom, you got to have a, a sports jacket. You know, this, you got thingy. So I take him into the locker room. I give him a sports jacket and it's hanging on him. And I'm like, I don't know if this is going to go so well, but it all worked out well in the long run. Cause look at him today. He's probably one of the best architects that ever lived. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like what you said earlier about when you like a course, spending a couple more times going around it, it garden cities, like the per- epitomizes that. Where the first time around, you you're like, whoa, that was pretty cool. But it's so hard to pick up on so many of the things that are going on out there just one time around. Oh, you have to be. I remember going out at night with my truck, putting lights on every green to see the subtleties in every green so I can enhance the pin placements or know where to expand greens. So it is. It's the kind of golf course that the more you play it, the more you realize how great it is. Yeah, and Tom did beautiful work there. I mean, he the 12th hole. I'll give you one more quick story about Garden City before we move on. So I was always in charge of hiring my green chairman, who was going to be my next green chairman there. And I would go out with them, take them around. And when we get to the 12th hole, the par three, I would stand on the tee and I'd say, what do you think? And if they liked it, the conversation was over. And I would say, forget it. You can't be my green chairman. And if they hated it, I would say, you got possibilities. And that was the one that Robert Trent Jones went in and really kind of redesigned the whole hole and made it look nothing like the rest of the golf course. So I always said, if my chairman couldn't figure out that that shouldn't be here, he really shouldn't be a green chairman at Garden City Golf Club. And Tom Poole, who became my chairman for a long time, 
he, he, I remember the day we stood on the tee and I said, what do you think, Tom? He says, this is the worst golf hole I've ever seen. I said, we and you are going to be best friends for a long time. And then Tom obviously went in and fixed it and did an unbelievable job when he did it. Um, it, it hearing you say uh, you were in charge of hiring the Greens chairman. That- That's one of the things I've always wanted to do. And I did the same thing at Atlantic. I always felt that the superintendent and the next green chairman should be some kind of communication, somebody that I respect and that he respects me. So if there were two or three guys that they were thinking about on the board, I would try to spend some time with each one. And then my suggestion would go back to the president and say, I think we can work. And over the 43 years, I've had great green chairmen that way. Um, and we still have great relationships. Um, and uh, sometimes I actually fired a green chairman one time. <laughs> Why? Like what happened? Uh, okay. Well, I went, this is the Garden Atlantic Golf Club. And I guess it was maybe eight, nine, maybe nine years ago. I went to a board meeting and at the board meeting, they just started beating me up the club. I mean, bad. It was like, they were complaining about this and complaining about this. And I thank God that I was a superintendent that I've been there a long time, because if I was early in my career, I probably would have said, go screw you guys. I would have walked out and lost my job. But I took it. I sucked it up. I said, if you guys feel this way, I probably maybe lost some focus here and there on the club. And I get it. And I get up and I leave. I tell my wife, oh, my God, it was awful. But let's see. So my green chairman calls me right up. Bobby, that was awful. I can't believe what happened. And I said, Irv, I can't. Let's have lunch tomorrow morning. I want to talk to you. He goes, let's have lunch. We're going to have lunch. We're going to straighten this out. So I sit down at the table. I said, Irv, I'm going to tell you something. This is the end of my career. I probably got seven, eight, nine more years left. I can't go through my career with you as my green chairman. You should have stood up and stopped everything when it got ugly and you didn't. So I'm going to the president of the club to get rid of, remove you as my green chairman. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask him to go with this guy, Tom Hughes. So Irv was like, Bobby, I can't believe it. I thought we had a great relationship. I said, we do have a great relationship, but there's certain jobs that somebody has to do. So I said, you just can't do it. And I can't go through these next seven, eight years with you. So he was all sad and everything. So that night I called the president of the club up. I said, you want to meet at Bobby Vance for dinner tonight? He goes, I love the Bobby. Let's have dinner. So I walk into Bobby Vance and the president of the club shaking his head. He goes, you can't fire your green chairman. I said, I already fired my green chairman. It's over. He goes, well, who do you want? I said, I want the biggest complainer at that board, Tom Hughes. He goes, well, he's the golf chairman. I said, that's who I want. I want the guy that I challenged me the most. And he was challenging me the most at that meeting. So he goes, okay, here's the deal. I'll call Tom up and ask him. So he calls Tom up on the table. And Tom says, I'd love to be his chairman. Because Tom's thinking, I mean, he's going to fire me. And then he goes, he tells me the phone. He goes, now you call Rick Hartman, the pro, up and tell him you just took his chairman from him because <laughs> he was the golf chairman. <laughs> so I ended up, Rick was a little upset at first, but I got him. And then Tom and I built an unbelievable relationship. And he was my green chairman until the day that I retired. And we're still good friends. So sometimes you got to be a little aggressive and make a little bit of a hard move, but it worked out great for me in the end. I imagine, you know, that that relationship's really like a partnership because, you know, in board meetings, that's the guy that's got to have your back and has to have all the context behind everything that's being brought up. Right. Exactly. I mean, you a golf course superintendent or a greenkeeper and his green chairman have to be a team and they have to trust and like each other and respect each other. 
I mean, if you have a green, you know, and, and all that really is, is I've always said this to all my assistants, when you get your green channel, find out what he really wants and start to give it to him to help him build that relationship. Um, I always say about Tom, our first meeting was we were going, was me, him and Rick were going through Atlantic hole by hole. And Tom was making all these suggestions and I was saying no to everything. No, I don't really, that doesn't work. No, we can't do that. To get to the fifth green and Tom says, boy, Bobby, right behind the fifth green, if there was a little T angled out to this par five, it'd be great. I said, Tom, that's a great idea. I'll build it tomorrow. So we go down, Hartman comes up to me to coffee. He goes, why did you give him that? I said, we turned him down for five holes. We got to give him something to build a relationship. He goes, oh, that makes sense. And actually we built the tee and it turned out to be great. And the members loved it. Yeah. That's, you got to give give an inch sometimes, right? You got to give it. And Hartman was so funny because Rick and I had a great relationship in all our years there together. Um, he has a golf pro and superintendent, which I will also like to bring up about that. Not only do you need a really good relationship with your green chairman, but you really need a good relationship with your golf pro. You two are the ones who basically he hears all the complaints. He has his, you know, his communication with all the members. We you need to be a team. And I was fortunate to have Gil McNally, which I'm sure you know from Garden City Golf Club, who was a great mentor to me. That's a great relationship, and we we'll still have a good relationship together. If you watch the video, he was at my retirement table. And Rick Hartman and I have uh, had a great relationship together. All the changes we did at Atlantic together, um, we worked really well over the years. And uh, if you say about something you might miss, the th things I miss is uh, my staff, which I had for 30 years. They're the same staff. And Rick Hartman and I, our relationship was really good. And I kind of missed that. But Rick still calls me once or twice a week. And uh, so we're all good. I'm curious with this the setup you got, you had set up where you essentially hired the green chair. How did you get that? How did you get that set up in the, in the very beginning? How did that even become a thing as a young superintendent at garden city? I would just, you know, I'd, I'd sit down. I, I always wanted to go to board meetings. I always felt the superintendent should be at the board meeting. And if he doesn't just hear say he should be there, he doesn't have to stay for the whole board meeting, but he has to represent himself. So I always try to build a relationship with the board at that time. One of the things I did at Garden City was I said at one of the early board meetings is that the green chairman and I have to be a team here and I have to have a good relationship with him. So I have to be part of getting the one that's going to work for both of us. And I don't want an easy one. I don't want someone who's just going to say, Bobby, do what you want. I don't want that. I want to be challenged, but I want to do it. So they understood, Garden City understood, that that relationship was the most important relationship and that if I spent time with different board members or ones that they thought were going to be it, some would click. At Also saying that, there were times when one famous golfer that was at Garden City Golf Club wanted to be my green chairman. And I went to the club and I said, listen, I don't think he's the right guy for me. I think we'll clash. So I think we need to go in this direction. And he wasn't too happy about that. Um, actually, on my retirement party at um, Garden City Golf Club, he told me the one thing he hated about me was I had too much power as a superintendent. I shouldn't have had that much power. But, you know, but the thing I think I just I think the way I got it was just explaining to everybody how important that relationship is instead of just ex accepting who they give you and trying to build something. I would try to explain to them that our relationship will just make this golf course better. I always wanted a good player as, as a chairman who understood, you know, firmness, conditions, 
way golf course should play and that he could relate that to the membership when he sat there for lunch and somebody asked him a question like, what's going on over here? He would know. I communicated great with my green jammins. I gave them updates on green speed, green firmness, moisture levels all the time on the golf course. So he's always prepared. I always felt that if I could get my green chairman prepared for any question. So if somebody came in, for example, at lunch and said, green's slow today. He would say, ah, let me look at my email. Oh, Bobby said they stepped at 11 today. He goes, I, I, maybe he's thinking, or he'd always have enough information to all. Oh, and he, and he always, I always felt that my green chairman power was information for him. Meaning the more he knew, understood the golf course through my eyes, the more he could defend what we were trying to do out there. And same with the golf pro too. My golf pro knew everything we were doing on that golf course every single day. So just as somebody came in and complained, he understood what was going on. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I go play places all the time and, and so often it's like a 95 degree summer day and, and the people I'll be playing with at the course are like, Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. The greens are a little slower than usual. And it's like, well, it's, it's 95 degrees out and it's really humid. Like, you gotta, there's gotta be a little give and take. You can't have, you know, these, but you gotta keep these alive for the rest of the year, you know? Right. And it's, it's interesting how, you, you know, if, if you've got a basis of information, um, and understanding that, you know, it all of a sudden you're able to communicate to a membership because that's, that's the key. Like you said, with a greets committee, a greets chair, especially being able to say, Hey, this is why. They're, they might be a little bit slower, a little bit softer today is we got to keep these alive for the next week because we've got our, you know, member guests next week and it's really hot this week. That's exactly right. And if he has all that information when he's at the club, he doesn't feel like he's ever been blindsided by a question. He'll know going into the club that morning that the greens are slower for that reason. Well, we had a rain or the humidity, you know, whatever the reason is, or if there was damage on the greens, he would know ahead of time. So when somebody approached him, he would be able to say, oh, yeah, I know that. So we communicated, I, all my green channels, we almost communicated every single day. A lot of them find me a little annoying because I give them so much information. And at times they say, okay, enough's enough. I said, well, that's good. I know uh, first meeting I had with my uh, green chairman from Atlantic, he said, Bobby, I got to let you know, I know you're long-winded and you want your meetings to go on forever. But in my world, 45 minutes, if you couldn't solve your problems in a meeting in 45 minutes, there's something wrong with the guy you hired. And I said, well, it's not going to happen with me. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I'll do this. I'll go to an hour and a half. And he goes, an hour and a half. I said, hey, listen, I was figuring on three hours. So I'm giving you, I'm cutting it 50% of the time. So he laughed and he says, okay, I get it. I get it. Because there's a lot of information on a golf course. I've always had my green committee meetings on the golf course. I never had them in a boardroom or inside. So I would always meet take my green committee out and we would go hole by hole as a green committee and talk about everything on the golf course. I could never understand where, when somebody would have a meeting inside the clubhouse and talk about things on the golf course without visually seeing them. So the, our meetings were always out unless it was raining was out on the golf course. Well, especially when you're dealing with like, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of superintendents uh, have to deal with is where you're the by far the clear expert on the subject matter there, you know, they're, they're your superintendents in general are schooled, you know, they're essentially scientists. And in a lot of cases you have members that don't, 
you know, I'm not going to throw member, member, all memberships out of the bus, but a lot of times memberships have no, no clue about agronomy and they're telling them things about, you know, it's like if you're out there walking, that's where the a superintendent can really showcase his expertise and point things out. And, and it's an opportunity to teach memberships about little things, you know? I think that's a super point. Absolutely great point. We are best in our environment on that golf course. That's where we're best at. So if we're out there explaining things, we're comfortable in that environment and we can explain things. And then the members at that time can say, yeah, Bobby, like this bank, you know, I hit my ball and the ball holes up on the bank of the, uh, of the bunker and, and it doesn't release in. And then you could discuss like, well, you know, the grass is a little higher. You're right. we got to shave this down a little bit. So there's a lot of great little things come out of those meetings and it helps the superintendent fine tune his golf course. And it helps that green committee go back to the membership and explain what's going on out there. You can't do that sitting in a room and a club. I also believe that all superintendents should once a year, take his green committee or the board or all of them together to another club to experience a day off the golf course, not to see another golf course as much, but to build a relationship outside of work. So let's say, for example, I would take everybody to uh, West Hampton golf club, which is one of my favorites. And uh, we would, I get organized it and we'd go play it and then we'd have lunch together. And it would just be about us playing golf, gambling, having fun. And that was good. And that expanded actually to the club loved that so much that I would do that. That expanded every winter. We would go down to the bears club as a committee and we would play the bears club in Palm beach and spend three days together just outside of golf. And I think that's really important for golf course superintendents to go and do those kind of things to build their relationships. I think people ask me, how did you make 43 years? And I said, I think it's all about building relationships. I'm not going to grow grass great every day. It's just not happening. But I can build a relationship that gets you know like, to that point. So I think that's really important for them. Yeah, the relationship just adds that la- layer of trust too, where it, it gives you a little bit longer leash, I imagine, on on a lot of things if if things aren't going well or if you want to try something. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, the other thing that was interesting, we we're just talking more about back to architecture. What I really find fascinating, I think you will too is the way architects nowadays see the masters. Like, for example, when uh, I'll give you a great example for that. There's West Hampton Golf Club, which I'm sure you have played. I have Southampton. High oh, on the list. My. I've been to Southampton, not West Hampton yet. Okay, you got to go to West Hampton. It's phenomenal. And Rainer's but, first. Yes, that's it is. It's Rainer's first. And um, so I was very interested, and I spent a lot of time when Gil Hans was doing West Hampton over and then Brian Silver, we hired at Southampton to do Southampton. And it was great to see the difference that they envisioned. Like, you know, like Gil looking at this Rainer, and this is the kind of bunkering and expansions I want to do. And then Brian coming into Southampton and doing it. And I find it interesting for me now to see like Andrew Green going to Oak Hill. I went up there and spent a couple of days just on what he did there and then looking at the new one he did over and the one that hasn't really been touched much. It was interesting, Andrew Green's you know, interpretation of a Donald Ross or other people like that. I think in the few, I think there's a, an, if something should be written about that kind of interest of that. I took um, the green committee at Southampton. One day we played West Hampton in the morning. 
to look at what Gil did. And then we played Southampton in the afternoon to see what we had. And it was just interesting the way they did it. I think there's something in that. It was really fun. So in my future, I want to do a lot of that. Interpretation is an interesting thing because I think that's one area of restoration where it's like, and this is not meant to be any sort of a critique of anybody that would, but like where, how, how many Ross courses do you, you know, restore and interpret things that the interpretation is really just your, you know, it's a very personal thing and it's, you know, there's so much in it's taking it back to, you know, a lot of architects talk about taking it back to when the golf course was at its best or the style that's at its best. It's a really fascinating subject. I don't know really what the right answer is, but you know, that's how you could get a lot of work that becomes homogenized is by a set status quo interpretation. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you, you look at the series of golf courses that Gill has just done between Wingfoot, East West, Marion, and that area in there, you know, it, Gil has to put his little touches on it, make it like a Gil. But it, that's a really good point is how much do they put their influence on it and it starts to look a little bit like, oh, Gil did this over. Or, one thing I have to say about, I mean, Core Crenshaw doesn't do a lot of things over. They're not really into that, but they do. They do a great job. I think Tom has a really good feel with trying to stay with that. What he did at Bel Air mm-hmm. is um, really good. Um, he's done a lot of good stuff like that. He takes his own ego out sometimes and he really puts what he thinks it should be. And he has some great people under him. I visited Montclair country club, Brian up there this year. And I wanted to see, you know, Montclair and, it, you know, it was like, a, and all of a sudden I'm watching what Brian's doing up there. And I'm like, Brian, this is incredible. You're just doing a phenomenal job. And what's one of the golf courses that I want to see the sequence of events, what he ends up doing to that golf course. So I got to see it. Right when he got there, I got to see it once when he's into a couple holes. And then I want to follow that. And I think he's really a talented guy under Tom. And it's fun to watch what he does. And he's, um, and he did the work at Hollywood, go mm-hmm. figure. And that came out so good. I'm really excited to see the, he's redoing the, he's been redoing the back nine at Lanark in Philly. And I saw the front nine this year, or the first nine that he, he renovated this year. And it's just so wildly different than, you know, stylistically than, you know, what anybody else is doing right now that it, it's it's compelling. And I think that's you hit on something that is like different is good. We, you know, like Walter Travis was drastically different, had a drastically different style than Alistair McKenzie. Seth Rayner was drastically different than Donald Ross and and different is what made the golden age of architecture so great is that everybody had different styles. And I think one of the things that we fall into this trap with architecture is this is good. This is bad. And you know, what happens is everybody falls into a bucket. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And, and, you know, you think about golden, the the golden era, they were, they were, and they were, it was interesting because I think they were like kind of friends, all of them in their time. And, but they all did their own little thing. I mean, uh, I think it's great. And I think, and that's what's nice about, it. we're very fortunate right now. I look at it this way. And one of the reasons I retired when I did, I mean, I was 67, so it was getting close because I wanted to spend so much time looking at all this architecture. And I think we have the dope, the core Crenshaw's, the Gil Anson, these younger guys coming up. I think we've got a really nice 
um, a lot of golf ahead of us that we're going to be able to see. I mean, on my next trip is I'm booking right now is the month of May on the West Coast. And then after that, in September, will be the breadbasket, the whole May. I'm going to go from Texas all the way up to Chicago. You got to look me up. Yeah, well, I'm definitely so I, I'm going to do that. So I want to do the spring and then the fall. Um, and then the year after that, I want to my wife and I are going to go to Ireland and Scotland for the month of July and just see as much as we can. The fortunate part is that my wife will travel anywhere while I do this. And she's good. Her. The interesting thing is um, people ask me how I got into the business. And I know that's one of the questions you always ask people is uh, I was going out with my wife since we're 16 years old from high school. And she said, she came home, she goes, what are you going to do for a summer job? And I said, I don't know. And she goes, well, my dad is a golf course superintendent, a greenkeeper. She goes, would you like to work on a golf course? I said, yeah. So he picked me up the first day at work and he drove me there and we spent a day on the golf course. He was at Rockville Links, which is a Devereaux yeah. Emmett design. Uh-huh. And I got home that day and we walked to meet each other. And she said, how was your first day? And I said, I will never do anything again in my life. This is it. I knew from day one. I fell in love with the golf courses and I never did since 16 years old. That's all I've ever done. So her grandfather was an original growing superintendent, a greenkeeper for Devereaux Emmett. He did a couple of jobs and ended up. Yeah. And he did St. Albans, which is no longer here. That was his, one of his big growings for him. And then he went to Rockville and then his (laughs) son-in-law took over from him. And then I worked for Gene and then I moved on to garden city golf club. Um, So it was uh, kind of like, so she's, knows how the business was and it worked out really well for both of us i i mean you know an older version of yourself might have looked at that at, at 16 going to work for the father the future father-in-law was you know, a pretty <laughs> bold move well the good thing was i didn't stay much with him once i, I once i kind of realized in this business you have to work for a multiple of different guys so as soon as I went to UMass, started going to UMass, I started at Branch. I went to Cherry Valley Club. I was at Piping Rock Club. And before I got Garden City Golf Club. So I was away quickly on that. I don't think it would have worked out great if I stayed too long. Hey, talk about the culture of greenskeeping on Long Island. I, I think it's, you know, I don't know exactly how I would describe it, but from what the the limited amount of time that I've spent out there, it seems like just in New York and Long Island in general, there's a little bit different uh, culture with the superintendents. It's interesting. Like we break it up a little bit between Nassau County and the East end of Long Island. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about just the East end because I've been there 30 years. We have a group of superintendents or greenkeepers out there that are just absolutely phenomenal. They get it. Friars head Bill Jones gets it. The firmness, the low fertility, the playing conditions are always, he's always striving for that. Bill Salinetti over at national just blows me away. Every time I go there, I'm just amazed on the detail work he produces, the playing conditions he produces are phenomenal. Go to Jay at West Hampton. You just, you've never seen, I've super, never seen anybody in, the amount of play that he has and to keep that golf course as firm as he does day in and day out just is incredible. Um, so, and then, so I, I look at these guys, the, the bunch of, when I got there in 90, it was just like an old guard of superintendents, you know, it was like the hook Williams who was great at Maidstone. And then it was, you know, uh, Pete Smith who was phenomenal there and Carl Olson at national. And then this next wave, they came in this younger ones. 
They're bringing playing conditions in. They're, they're staffing it right. They're organized right. I'm just so impressed with that whole east end of them. That just is incredible. Now, the Nassau County guys, I'm not as familiar with because once I got out to the east end, I realized I didn't really want to go back there too much because it was so great where I was. <laughs> yeah. So they, everybody was funny. I used to get in the fall, all the calls, all my friends. Hey, when are you going to come up? I said, never. You want to come see me? You come out here. We have Shinnecock. We have National. We have Maidstone. We have the Bridge. We have Atlantic. We have West Hampton, South Hampton. So Friars Head, which I think is one of the best golf courses ever built in this, you know, this last 30 years. Um, just I'm sure you've played that a bunch of times. It is just incredible what they did there. That's that's what I got to get to. I, I, you know, this year really derailed a lot of travel for me. But you know, the it, I played a bunch of the Southampton stuff when we I was there for the U.S. Open a few years back. Um, and it, it it's what is amazing to me about just that area of the country is what I always bring up is if I took Southampton, moved it to Chicago. <laughs> People would be like, "This is like one of the five best courses in in the uh, yeah. in the city." And in in that part in Southampton, you know, a lot of people would say it's the fourth best course just in a small town. I know it. It really is incredible. How, first of all, it's incredible how good Southampton is. It's incredible. Southampton good. great is it's the membership. You know, when when I first joined there. It was redone by Bill Mitchell, who was doing, did Noyak, and he kind of basically ruined the whole golf course. He made the bunkering awful. He left one bunker left on the right at number four. And he basically, the greens got small and round, but it was a great club because the membership was just great members. You could carry your bag in the afternoon. You can use a pull cart. You could take a cart. You could sit on the putting green. For me at Atlantic, when I got out of work, maybe four or five o'clock, I could go there and putt on that putting green. And somebody would say, hey, you want to walk nine holes? And then you'd go to the bar at night. And every night the bar was everybody talking golf, golf architecture, everything. It was just a great thing. Then when Brian came in and now built what he built for us, now you have a great golf course with a great membership. And so it just all went. Thank, we thank him so much that he did what he did for us. Because it's just now it's great golf along with great members. And you can't beat that. I always say when I retired, I'm going to spend eight months a year in South Carolina, obviously, and just be up there for three months where to see the kids and the grandkids. But I said, I will never leave this club. I don't care. I don't care if I can't even get here. I just would never leave it. It's so great. I mean, just being part of it, even if you just go there and have a drink in the afternoon, it's fun. Yeah, the the membership and the overall culture of the club was something that made you know I only spent one day there made a big impression on me. It was like wow, you know, this is the most fun place to be in this area. Yeah, here's the other thing that helped me, and we're talking about being you know your career. I look back on it was really good that I got a chance to join Southampton Golf Club because sometimes as a golf course superintendent, you tend to have a small world of friends that are just golf course superintendents. And you don't really know. When I used to go to the Southampton and I would see what they, I saw how a membership looks at the golf course, not just how the golf course superintendent looks at it. So being a member at a club for those years, I think helped me be a better superintendent or greenkeeper at Atlantic because I used to go and my friends were all members and they were, the, you know, from all kinds of walks of life. And I would get to see them and spend time with them and hear what their complaints. It was always interesting to me to play in my group 
at Southampton. I used to play with the president of the club, Butch, who ran the place for 25 years. He was the best president you could ever have. And we'd play our Friday game. And you would share what they would complain about or what they would talk. You know, and I'd say, wow, that's interesting. I never really looked at it from that area, that, that way. I always looked at it from growing the grass. And now I'm looking at it from their way. So I think it helped me when I went back to Atlantic to, to look at it that way a little bit better. I think it helped me in my career. It gave you the perspective of a member because you were a member. Yeah. So it was, it was, that's good. I really enjoyed that part of it. And it was good getting away because at Atlantic, I lived on the golf course. So it was 24 seven. So that was my good way to just to clear my head and get away on Fridays. And I used to play Friday and Sunday, Sunday afternoons. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Toro. Those big agricultural tractors you see working on golf courses with their clutch and complicated lever pulling sequences in a turf maintenance application, they're like stepping onto the first tee not knowing which swing you have that day. Toro's new Outcross 9060 can do everything those clunky tractors can do, but with tons less stress on the operator and on the turf. With automotive controls and programmable attachment parameters, even rookies on the crew can be trusted with aerating, top dressing, mowing grass, loading sand, and removing snow from around the clubhouse in the winter. I just had to uh, do my first shoveling of snow. It stunk. The Toro Outcross 9060 is like having your best golf shots saved, ready for use each and every round. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. Now back to Bob Ranham. Let's talk about Atlantic. So you took the job there and then uh, you were part of the construction of the golf course with Reese Jones. And uh, and then obviously you were there the rest of your, your career. So talk about building uh, the golf course there and, and that experience in your career. Obviously you'd been doing restoration work at Garden City, but building a golf course holding another animal. Well, that's the reason why I went there. You know, everybody used to say to me, why would you leave Garden City? And I love Garden City. Don't get me wrong. It was one of the hard decisions to do. But I always felt that my career path was going to get bigger. And I said, if I, I said to my wife, if I go out to Atlantic and I we build it and we grow it in. And um, I think then on my resume, I have Garden City Golf Club and I'll grow in on the East End of Long Island. So I said to Allison, let's figure a three to five year plan. We'll grow it in. We'll get it. Kids are still young. We'll get it going. And then we'll start to branch out to the, the job I really want. You know, one of the bigger, bigger jobs, let's call it if it's the Wingfoots or whatever it is, the next, the Baltus roll or the Mar- something bigger. And uh, I always say to everybody, I said, God has, God has a sense of humor because I ended up staying 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I guess, but my plan was never to stay 30 years there. My plan was to go there and do this and then move on to like maybe a Friday, you know, something, but it just worked out that the membership and I had a great relationship. My wife loved the community. The kids loved growing, being there. And I was just said, okay, I think this is where we're going to be. And, um, and, and so we ended up staying there for 30 years. I never thought that would happen. And so building the golf course, very interesting because I came in, I didn't know about mass up dirt moving. Um, they moved some dirt there and they built some mounding and, it's kind of like different than I have a store. I came from a very simple golf course, you know, and to a more high, you know, that I came from push-up greens to USGA greens. I came from old power bent greens, power bent fairways, solid bent grass everywhere. 
um, bluegrass fescue roof. So it was a lot different than I was used to the grassing plans and stuff, but it was a great relation, a great learning experience because I never knew how to, you know, grass a whole place, you know, how many, you know, just put, you know, take dirt and take it after irrigation and have to build a whole golf course out of it. So it took a lot. I mean, it took, you know, it was a year of building and another year of growing in, but I really, it was really exciting and it was really challenging for me. Um, I always felt I had one more growing in me because the mistakes I made at Atlantic, I knew my next job, I would say, oh, I get it. I made these mistakes and now I know how to fix them. But it was, it was, it was interesting. And then over the years, the club was nice enough to let us change some things and, and um, you know, change the T complexes and take some mounding out. And I always say this, we had 144 um, bunkers when we opened. When I left, we have 80. Wow. So you think about that. Membership doesn't, you know, it's amazing when I said this, I say this all the time to the board. We, how, many, how many do we have out there? And they're like, I don't know. I said, well, we had 144. Here's the map. Now we have 80. They didn't even realize as I, we were taking them out and putting good strategic, you know, different bunkering in. They didn't even realize it was actually happening over the four or five years we did it. They just always accepted it the way it was, which is probably a good thing that nobody did that. But I always was pretty proud of, of that because I believe that a golf course doesn't need as many bunkers. You know, I mean, I love the old style, bunk, you know, the way they do them, but we put them in good places and it worked. We worked with Reese Jones on it. It was Rick Reese and I did a lot of the work. And then um, I'm sure, you know, Tyler Ray, yeah. who I'm very close with. And uh, Tyler would come in and help me with things, you know, like, you know, he was a good shaper and he would help shape and do some things for us and explain things. So Tyler and I became very close through that procedure. Yeah. You guys see Tyler's work at Beverly. That's why I do. I have that Midwest in the fall. Yeah. Um, As it, is it really good? Yeah, it turned out great. I, I mean, it's uh, unbelievable uh, how how much that club's uh, the golf course has has improved since you know I played a state am there in 2010, and it's just you know the world's better of a golf course today than it was. Then. Uh, yeah, Tyler's great. He's got a great personality. Um, he's very easy to deal with. I was fortunate. I got him very very young. Mm-hmm. That he. He was very inexpensive back then, yeah. so it worked out really well. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's I I say to club clubs all the time is like, and I think David David McClay kid gave me a quote for a story once that was like so perfect, and it was for a municipal course. But it, it, it he said if if they only knew if they hired the guy with the thinnest um, portfolio of work and lightest resume, they'd be making the best decision they yeah. could make. I tell you, just I say the same thing about Greenkeeper. When let's say if a club comes to me and asks me about what changing, I always say find the bright star out there that you can grow with. Find that young assistant who's worked for somebody good. Give him a chance. A lot of things happen. He has to prove himself. He'll do a great job. You could grow with him financially. You don't have to spend a lot of money at first to bring somebody in. And I look at it, I go to like, you know, look at Bill Salinetti. I mean, at a national, he came out of New Hampshire and he's the biggest shining star you can imagine. I'm sure you hear it all the time. He's nobody better. Yeah. Um, You know, so you see the club, see that at national saw this young, bright guy brought him in and he has done just, I think he's done one of the most phenomenal jobs on the golf course I've ever seen. And not just 
the design of the gobble or the work he's done, the way he's built his maintenance facility, the irrigation system he installed. He's really changed the look of that. You remember National had the old maintenance building in the middle of the golf course and he moved it off site. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had that the vista. They didn't have anything there. He does everything right. I get so every time I go there, I just get more and more impressed. I'll give you a quick little story. My last trip there. So I'm wandering around National wandering around. I walk behind the ninth green and there's this foundation. And I get on the phone. I call Bill up. I said, Billy, where are you? And he goes, oh, I'm just driving. I said, come back to the ninth green. I'm curious. We walk back. There. I go, what's that? He goes, that's the original clubhouse. So what do you mean the original clubhouse? He goes, yeah, it's called the Southampton Inn. It, that's, that's people used to come off the train, walk across to the train. That would be the national clubhouse. And he goes, it burnt down. And then CB McDonald, we kind of rerouted and put the clubhouse up on the hill. Now he didn't know if, that was a temporary clubhouse that he was just using to eventually do that. But he said when it opened, that was the 18th green on the ninth one. And then the 10th was the first, but that burnt down. He had to move on. So we stood around that little foundation for an hour, just yapping about stuff. And I thought that was the neatest thing I've seen. Um, I always tell Rand, I said, out of all my stuff I've seen this year, that foundation blew me away. That's, I mean, I spent you know a decent amount of time at Chicago Golf with Scott Bordner before he left, and and the stuff we would just go around looking at the drainage and the the fact that they had all this original drainage tile and the complexity of the drain. I mean, they they went they are doing some work right now, but Scott, when they were planning it out, he's like, I don't even know if we can do the scale of of drainage that they yeah. did in nineteen uh, you know twenty three. It's, it's just amazing. Un- unbelievable. It, it really is amazing when you look at the old green keepers. Uh, some of the old green keepers mo- turn, ended up being golf course architects, but their design of that and and the way the course is drained was fun. We all know that as a golf course superintendent, your number one thing is you had to drain the golf course before you put water on it. You want to drain it. So that's that that is incredible about that. I got I can't wait to see Chicago Golf Club again. Um, I just zipped through it last time, but, uh, I want to spend some time there and really look at it. Everybody says it's just a great place. It's a, it's such a neat spot. And, and they're obviously doing a bunch of work this fall, um, with, uh, just rebuilding bunkers and, you know, they added some and they're bringing back some features that were missing, adding some short grass. So it's, uh, it, it'll be exciting to see that, uh, that finished up in the spring. Who is doing the, who's consulting there as the architect? Uh, Tom Doak. Oh, perfect. So, okay, great. Yeah. That's going to uh, be one. Yeah, they're they're doing most of the work in house. Uh, they're but perfect example of what you were talking about. Scott left, and they hired his his young assistant Craig. And it, it, you know, Scott said to me, he's he's like, you know, if if you like what's going on at the golf course with me, why wouldn't you hire my assistant? And I think yep. that's a clubs don't do that all the time. They always their their superintendent leaves, and it's they're like looking for the new bright shiny superintendent. It's like if you really liked what was going on, the assistant has been learning from the guy that was yeah. do, and probably doing a lot of the stuff that you like what's well, going on. That's exactly what happened at Atlantic. When I gave my notice, um, I went into a board meeting and um, they said, you know, they offered me four more years. And I said to myself, man, I'm going to be 71 years old cutting grass. I don't know if this is going to work anymore. So I said to them, listen, guys, I think it's time for me to move on. I'll give you a year. And I think in that year, 
you should bring in somebody to work with me my last year and then take over. And they said, well, who would you recommend? And I said, well, I had all these assistants that worked for me. Some of them were on the area. I think if you could find one of them, I think one of them might leave and come. So they hired Tony Stoltis, who was at Baiting Hollow Club, which is right next to Friar's Head, to come in. And he we worked kind of like as a co-superintendent kind of thing over the years, over the year. And, th- and then he took over when I after my retirement party. And he's done an unbelievable job. There's, there hasn't even been actually it's probably better than I had it because he's so enthusiastic about getting that job that he's working around the clock as after 30 years, you know, superintendents after 30 years, you start to go like, ah, oh, that looked good enough. I'll be all right here. So he's done a wonderful job in that transition from somebody who was an assistant for me to now being the superintendent. And also I was very concerned about my crew um, having a family that we had Garcia's there. They were the original crew that worked with me to grow the golf course in the whole family. And they stayed with me their whole life. I see you saw probably in the video that I honored them. They had a table there. And I was very concerned that somebody might come in and say, okay, this, they're making too much money. They're doing this. We got, I got to get a tenant. I got to get all these assistants. And Tony was very comfortable in keeping everybody because they were so there. The staff was very secure. They were very happy. Tony got a great opportunity and the club saw a very great transition with no problems. So I agree. That's a win-win, just like with, I guess, at, in Chicago Golf Club. Give the assistant. The assistant knows the place. He knows the crew. He knows the irrigation system. He knows what the members want. So that probably worked out great. Yeah, yeah. From all, everything I've heard, it's been perfect for them. Um, something you mentioned when we talked on the phone the other day that I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask is uh, getting to know Mike Strantz, playing golf with Mike Strantz. Tell us a little bit about Mike Strantz. Well, I'll tell you another, another good story, I think. Um, I came up, I, 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 the way I found Watchesaw Plantation is I was up here playing golf at this place called the Old Pros Table. I was having dinner. It was a great memorabilia place. And a guy came up to me, Joe Hackler, and asked me about the Travis Memorial. He's been trying to get in it. So I said, ah, all right. So I went back. I got him in. Fast forward. He comes, plays it every year. And he asked me to come up here and play golf in this area and he just joined Watchesaw Plantation where I am now and I fell in love with it and I said who this is not like a Fazio golf course somebody else did the bunker and he go oh, by the way Mike Strance is doing Caledonia right now this was his last job for Tom Fazio he did Wade Hampton with Tom and I think Dana Fry was on that job with him mm-hmm. and they then he moved here and Tom really didn't care about Myrtle Beach area so he says you just kind of do what you want to do Mike and Mike built these unbelievable greens. They're not crazy. They're just tilted. They remind me of a Garden City Golf Club green. Tilted, really nice, great bunkering. So I said, I got to meet this guy. So I went down to Caledonia while he was working, and I just started chatting with him. And he's, you know, how friendly he was. So I said, you ever been to the east end of Long Island? And he goes, no, I've never been out there. So you got to come out here. So he goes, okay. So he comes out to the east end, and we play golf. We go, we play Shinnecock and we play Maidstone and we play West Hampton and then we go to national and he flips over national and, and he's just like, so the next day I get up, I go, oh, we're going to go play. He goes, no, 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 no. I ain't going nowhere. I'm going back to national. I don't care about playing it. I just want to walk it. Call the super. So I call up and I think it was Carl Olson back then. And 
He says, yeah, let him go. So he walked in and walked in and walked in and walked in. came back to my house that night. We opened a bottle and we were just, he was like blown away. And then I, I think when he got back, that's when he went to work, build True Blue. So now you look at True Blue, what is it? Big wide fairways, big undulating greens, you know, angles all over the place. And then he went on to build his career over that. Um, sometimes I think he got a little, you know, you know, over the top, you know, on some things. That's, that's my opinion. Yeah, that's but my I, opinion too. It's <laughs> it's cool. It, that's what I say to people about. I think like I think Tobacco Road. The internet has made Tobacco Road like a call. I like Tobacco Road, but I wouldn't like to play Tobacco Road every day. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's like what well, I like in it too is like it's like ACDC blasting, and, and and it's like you know by the by the seventeenth hole you're like you know what I've I've got I've heard enough ACDC today, but yeah. you know for like the first ten holes you're it's just like holy cow this is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. When he did Royal New Kent, mm-hmm. he calls me up and he says, well, I wanted, wanted you to come up and look at it, Bobby. So I said, okay. So we get on the first tee and I said, oh, my God, this looks unbelievable, Mike. We get off the first green and I said, this is ridiculous, Mike. You have everything in this hole you could possibly. You got deep bunkers. You got undulating green. You got false fronts. I said, I'm worn out on the first hole and I still got 17 more to go. Yeah. But it was a, that was a, I, one of the most talented men I've ever met in my life with the, the way he could draw and he could sit there and draw a hole and give that to the shaper. And, and that you could live by that drawing. Um, there is his shaper, which is pretty interesting. Um, um, is I think it's, I forget his last name right now. I'm going to remember it, but he lives in Charleston. Mm-hmm. The guy who shaped for him on his, all his projects, he's doing work at Bulls Bay now. And um, so I, I went down to Bulls Bay and met with him just to chat with him about doing the work with him. There's also a bunch of superintendents that are around here, uh, like Freddie Travis, mm-hmm. who worked with him on a lot of jobs um, doing work with him. So it was uh, you could, I love to hear the stories about Mike and they tell him so well, but probably one of the most talented men that ever was out on a golf course with a bulldozer and a shaper. And the idea of what he could do was really fun. I had glad I had a chance to spend a lot of time with him. It's, you know, I always think about this. It's whenever I'm on a strands course and I think Bulls Bay is probably my favorite one yeah, of all of them. I agree. Um, but I always think about, you know, strands was kind of the, you had Tom and you had uh, Bill and Ben and you had that minimalist um, kind of, idea of golf architecture on on one side of the coin and at that same era strance in a way was kind of the evolution of fazio and and really the the maximalist uh foil to the minimalist you know core crenshaw tom doak yeah. and unfortunately we lost him right when he was starting to get uber popular and yep. it was you know i always think about where would golf architecture be today if Strance was still designing courses and had a 30, you know, course pro- portfolio like he surely would have had? And right. what would, you know, what would golf architecture look like today had he not passed away? I agree. And look at, I, I agree with you on Bulls Bay. I try to get there as much as I can. My favorite trip is always Yamens Hall mm-hmm. and on the way back Bulls Bay. And then come home again, um, because I think what he did at Bulls Bay is very simple, very interesting. 
aesthetically pleasing, very playable for anybody. Um, you know, you just have the greatest time. Then you sit up at that clubhouse and have a couple of drinks and it's just great people there. So I agree. I think Bulls Bay, I'm glad at least we have that to go back and, and look at his last work, one of his last works, I guess. Um, so I agree with that. But that's another one that you want to talk about some great golf when you get, I'm sure you've been to Yeaman's Hall. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Charleston uh, next week. So oh, really? for a week. Yeah. Oh, what are you playing there? Uh, I got to go do some stuff for Kiowa. Uh, and then I was going to go, hopefully go see Bulls Bay again. And uh, okay. then Yeaman's and uh, I got to, I got to I got to see that Charleston Muni too. The work they, they, they did just there. did it. I heard it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I, I saw it before, and and I I talked to Troy, and and I it sound, it looks like it's it turned out really well. Yeah, it's great. Oh, that's a, that whole I mean that Yeamans Hall and the Char- Country Club of Charleston, and now that, and that's just a great little combination of three good golf courses in that area. And Charleston's a great town. Hope yeah. you're staying right in Charleston. I think we're going to stay on on an island. We're going to oh, we're okay. going to stay stay outside. We stayed in the city last time we were there and this time with uh with a newborn we just uh stay out and have good places to walk and uh you know. Yeah. And being I in Chicago and being on the beach in in, in January in Charleston's like summer for, for me, you know. Yeah, oh, it's great down there. <laughs> um but uh the what was I going to say? You know, we talk about like the one of the cool things I think about Charleston is in the two Rainers, this Tr- Country Club of Charleston, really a, a, a featureless site, and how built, how bold all the contours and bold the features were that Rainer built. And then you go to Yemen's, and it's so much more subdued. Um, yeah. And in where, especially when you get into that back nine portion where the land gets so good, you know, the features yeah. are are much more much smaller. Because the land, you know, letting the land dictate how how the, you know, how much you push on the gas pedal. It's great. You know, do you know, I'm sure you do know this, that this next to it, like when you go in the driveway on the other side, there was a routing plan for the next 18 holes there. Ross did one and Rainer did one that they wanted to build. But obviously with the depression, everything was never built. So the last time I was at Yemen's, Jimmy Yance, who was the golf course superintendent there for over 30 years, um, he took me on that piece of property to walk kind of like the rough routing that they had. And it was all through these dunes, kind of undulations. It would have been unbelievable, especially let's say if a Ross did it instead of like, so you'd have a Ross Rainer side by side there at Yemen Solo. So we just spent the whole day in the rain walking through these little mounds and it was unbelievable. What a great experience. Is, do they own the land still? Yeah, they still own the land. They That's still have the land. And one day, who knows? Who knows what happens? It's all there, untouched. And, you know, like the routing of, I guess they asked Ross to give one and Rainer to give one. And then nothing ever happened, obviously. But and they who still knows? Have maybe Clark, maybe uh, Doke or somebody will come in there and do it. I bet you Tom has probably been approached already. Oh, wow. What a... You know what a little uh, nugget you're dropping here. Yeah. It, one other thing with Tom, he I there's a golf club atlas post of him talking about how he was struggling to figure out how he could play the Lynx Club, and then he found you. Yeah. So you well, grew, was, you play we, the Lynx Club all the time, right? Well, what I used to do is I discovered the Lynx Club early on at Garden City Golf Club, and there was a superintendent there, Benny who had such knowledge and he was still there. He was there for like 50 years. 
So I went over there one day to introduce myself. The club was closed at this point. Benny was just doing basic mowing with two or three guys. Nobody played golf there. The clubhouse, the Dutch clubhouse was closed. And I just sat with him for a day and he just told me great stories about how they used to spray and how they did things and blah. So I walked the golf course and I was like, man, this thing is unbelievable. So I said to Benny, I said, would you mind like, like on Sunday mornings when I say, after I set the crew up, if I came over and played, he says, yeah, come over anytime you want. Nobody's here. Actually, you can bring a cart. So I would set my crew up by nine o'clock. We'd be done. I would take my pickup truck. I would drive my cart up to the back of the pickup truck. I would zip over to the links, unload the golf cart, play as many holes as I could until I had to go back in the afternoon to the club. So we did that for as long as we could until it was gone. But that was a great experience just to drive around there. Nobody on the golf course and did this. And I, I told Tom, I said, you got to This was thing is unbelievable. I mean, they had this old Dutch clubhouse that was phenomenal. Benny obviously, you know, died. He was very old thing. And then the golf pro there was there for 50 years. So the golf pro and him were there for 50 years. So just would go there and get some great stories. And it was just an enjoyable, enjoyable thing. And that's where CB, he was, he'd tell me stories about CB McDonald because CB McDonald was his green chairman. That's unbelievable. There. Yeah. Are you so remember, we heard all, you I, remember any good stories of CB from now, You know, tell you that I'd have to think about that. I, just that only thing he used to say is he was a really hard man, hard. His way, the highway, and you did it his way, and that was pretty much it, he said. But Benny was such a gentleman, he probably would never say anything bad about anybody. That's uh, That sounds like CV, based off of yeah. you know the, the tales that you read about. Um, how, how did that course compare with its, you know, other courses in the, in the, on Long Island and New York, great, or like where, you know, in your your recollection of it where would it fall in the kind of hierarchy i'm, I'm curious well, it was a small piece of property it was ten, relatively a little bit flat some good undulation but nothing like like um not like some like a piping rock would be a comparative club in that area and piping mm-hmm. rock is just as you know phenomenal golf course so it wouldn't maybe be a it wouldn't be a piping rock because of the massiveness of piping rock but it was a fun great golf course to play um great vistas because it was you know open and you could look around and obviously had all the great holes but would i say you know today if it was still there it'd probably be a little short for a lot of people it would be uh but it still would hold it tested time but i don't know and remember this was probably i haven't seen it in 35 or 38 years so I don't remember as many details to it as I should probably. And back then, you know, I was just impressed with the golf course and I didn't really get into the architecture as much as I probably have now, but no, it was wonderful. I just remember enjoying it and spending time out there. All right. So before we get you out of here, I, uh, I got to let you give yourself a plug. You're now consulting. Talk about what you do, you know, now with the, your consulting work. Well, when I, I, I don't, when I retired, one of my fears was that I would um, be like, I did this my whole life. I need something. So I started a consulting bill. Well, I first started to be fair. I started building golf greens in backyards of, of members. So I went out and I started in the last five years, I built a bunch of greens in members backyards. What does that cost? I'm just curious. Well, it does. Well, I have anywhere from greens that I built 
for about 60 to 70 to a half a million dollars right now. So obviously the half a million dollar ones are like as, as big as it gets. Um, like how many square and, feet is a, is a half a million Well, the dollars? green is 6,000 square feet. It, uh, that one has 6,000 square foot green. It has two bunkers next next to the green. It has a little fairway bunker. It has two big approaches. I actually, Reese Jones designed it because the owner wanted a, a name to do it. Uh-huh. So Reese designed it and we maintain it now and you know built and maintain it. It's beautiful. It's great. Yeah. But then how do you done... people maintain it? Are there any people that just maintain it themselves? Because I've like thought about building my own greed and just figuring it out. You could. Nobody that I know, our clients pretty much want it done as like yeah. their golf courses. If, well, if yeah. If you're spending so a half a million dollars. I'll put it to you this way. Our lowest maintenance on a golf on one would probably be somewhere at the, the bare minimum, maybe per year, 20 to 25,000 okay. up to 125,000 in maintenance per year, depending on the site. So we, you know, so if they wanted to keep the green speeds at, let's say 10, well, obviously that's going to be a lot more than, you know, somebody is happy with just the aesthetics of it and it's good. So we have a range of that. So I just, I thought that would be a nice little business to get into but then I decided it takes too much of my time. So I moved on from then just stay as a consultant. Then I started a consulting business for estate care out there. I saw a need for to, a lot of you know, to need for the owners of these estates to have a better understanding of what's going on on their property. So then I branched out to that and that got kind of successful quick. And then I do a series of little golf courses here and there where I, if I can help in any way. But in saying that, when I got the gig being on a panelist for golf magazine, I found that my real love is seeing golf course architecture. So as I fade out of that end of it, I don't want to really, I really want to spend more and more time traveling, seeing as much architecture as I can. Um, So that's really my love for my next couple of years is playing golf and seeing golf. Um, and, and I also enjoy this. I always do this. I give you my Oakmont trip this year. I played Oakmont. And then I go into the town. The town of Oakmont's great. So I would go through to walk through the town, find a great little bar, have a couple of drinks with some local people, chat about the town, chat about what they think of Oakmont. So I got a whole different kind of feeling when I go into a a, a town like I was up at Aquanic, mm-hmm. went to Manchester. And you spend a day at Manchester and then go visit Aquanic. Um, you know, that's really what I like. I get to see small towns. I get to see interesting people. I get to see great golf courses, study great architecture, kind of figure out in the future who I really am impressed with or I'm not. Um, not that I haven't been, but so I think my future is the consulting's fun. If somebody calls me, I'm very good on the natural grasslands on golf courses to keep them thin and playable. I'm very good on fine fescue roughs because that's what I love. Um, and anything else that comes in between. But I pretty much, if I could just go visit golf courses for the next four or five years, I'd be happy just doing that. Yeah, that's, that's a good gig. I, that's and I the, think you would too. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to do more of it. I uh, That's, you know, 2020 was a bummer because I was just looking at the end of the year. You know, I'm looking through new stuff I saw and, and you know, I'd seen almost everything in the Midwest before, you know, I the uh this year especially within driving distance of me and uh 
and unfortunately, like this year was going to be a big one for air travel, and uh, and that got cut down. And uh, you know, next year is uh, is going to be a big one, though. So hopefully, we'll uh, we'll we'll play around. Um, yeah, we'll, I'll be around. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing: nobody's been tested more than me traveling from state to state. <laughs> I bet. It's uh, it's hopefully that that'll all be uh, behind us. Uh, yeah, in, I'm really looking forward to my year. California trip. I'm yeah. really excited about California next year. Have you year, been out there? In... Oh yeah, I've been out there a bunch of times. California Golf Club is one of my favorites, so mm-hmm. that's like my I have to be there. But I want to go. I'm gonna start in Bandon Dunes and work my way all the way down to San oh. Diego. The drive from Bandon to Northern California is it it blows the pch drive out of the water i I, it is unbelievable yeah and then i want to see is that who's doing that is that core crenshaw's building a a new golf course right and yeah so i have that on my list to walk that and see how that is Um, i'm excited to see that obviously california golf club uh, i'm very friend good friends with the general manager glenn smickley who used to be at robert trent jones golf club and you know, he's one of the best superintendents I've ever met in my life. And now he's general manager of one of the best golf courses I've ever seen. So I'm excited to spend some time with him and then just work my way down the coast and you know, spend a month out there. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many cool spots, you know, where you got to go. It's a Muni in LA. You're getting all the way down to LA, right? Yeah. Oh, sure. You got to go see Santa Anita. Oh, okay. It is. I will do that. Unbelievable. And if you don't, you probably know Tommy Nacarado. Ask Tommy Nacarado about Santa Anita. Okay. Um, I will look. I'm excited. I'll do that. I just want to see as much as I can. I know it's funny. I was listening to the Tom Doak one you did two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, just what I like to see. You just, Tom said when he's driving and all of a sudden he said, oh, what's that over there? Yeah. And then be able to pull over and just discover things that you wouldn't even see. And I always say to my wife, you know, you're driving someone said, let's just pull over here and just check this out and let's have lunch in this town and let's just find something new. So that's that's the thing that I get excited about. When I heard that Tom said that, I said to myself, that's exactly what I want to do. I love to drive everywhere. Anyhow, actually, we're going to probably pick up a trailer when we do the Midwest. And this way we'll be able to travel with the trailer, a little trailer behind us so we can stay right there wherever we go from Texas all the way up. I'm really excited to see a lot of stuff in Texas and just work my way right up to Chicago. Yeah, my wife and I have been looking into like an RV rental yeah. option for next summer. Uh, you know, where it's because, yeah, driving, that's the thing. I did a couple of massive road trips this um, this fall and like your ability to just stop out of the blue is so nice versus flying, you know? Yes, it's just like, I oh, agree. I'm just going to stop here. Uh, I'm going to stop and see this. Even if it's just to get out of the car and walk around for 40 minutes. That was, um, there's a cool course called Pine Hills in uh, in Wisconsin. And a couple of years ago, we were driving back from the UP. And uh, it, so you're driving straight down through Wisconsin. And I told my wife, I'm like, you know what? I got to stop real quick. I, I pulled into the front en- entrance. It was late afternoon. I got out of the car and I, I just sprinted around the golf course. So I saw, you know, I saw it, you know, right. in about 25 minutes. I got back in the car, got back on the road. Well, I'm going to have to keep you wherever I'm going. I'm going to be sending you f- pictures of where I am. And then you're going to have to say to me, while you're in this area, Bobby, you got to go see this. You got to go see this. 
because one of the nice things about being retired is I have no schedule. Yeah. So if I want to stay an extra day or two, I stay an extra day or two. I it's it's great. You know, I I always talk with Charlie Reimer about this because I love being a neighbor with him because I get to chat about golf course architecture and he gets to chat about being a PGA pro and what they look for and how much they love Pete Dye because of the strategy that Pete Dye gave them. And so it's such a great, we spend so many nights on the porch having a couple of cocktails, just having that communication. It's been a lot of fun having him here. Yeah. That's, I got to come up and see your guys, your guys' spot. I get, that's another place I got to get to. Well, you have to see Caledonia, which is super neat. And uh, then our place is super neat, and you have to meet Charlie when you come here. Yeah, I got. I want to see the um, the course, the the Tom's like third yeah, course, Heathland. Heathland. Yeah, yeah, great, and great. Yeah, and and Dunes. Uh, you know, that's a that's a big historical project in terms of uh, you know the history of golf architecture. Yeah, you love Heathland. I I didn't realize, I didn't know much about Heathland um, at the Legends. I knew Tom did that right before we kind of met at Garden City. And so I went there and I spent two days there walking it uh-huh. before I played it. And because I always love to walk a golf course before I even play oh, it. Like, no, yeah. so, such and a good thing to do. What Tom did there, it still stands today as one of the greatest little layouts. And I think it's one of the best golf courses in this whole area by far. The green contours he did there with the angles of, of the, the fairways are you know, you think when he did it, the fairways are wide, the greens are great, the bunkering is strategically placed, but not ridiculous. It's still, I, I was so impressed with what he did at such a young age that it was amazing what he did. Yeah, that I, you know, he sent me uh, when he was writing uh, Getting to 18, he sent me a couple chapters early um, and asked, you know, some questions. But it, when I read it, that, book i love that book and one of the things i've said to people is like it made it i was more interested to read the courses that i hadn't seen yet than the courses i had seen which i thought would be the opposite when he told me the premise of the book you know and that was one of the chapters and i'm like i really want to go see it and it's cool to like hear read him talk about you know, what he did there and then further, you know, ahead in his career, having something similar and how he did something different based off of what he did there, you know? Well, I tell you, I'll give you another quick, good story. You know, his confidential guide, the first book he did. Yeah. So Eddie Butler, who was my assistant at Garden City Golf Club, took over from me when I was there. So they gave the same thing. They gave my assistant the job. So I built Atlantic and, you know, Moundy and this – but I put a lot of heart and soul into it. And Eddie calls you one day and he goes, oh, Tom has Atlantic in the book. So what do you say about it? And he goes, ah, he said it's a little artificial. It's a farm field. He's, he's kind of, you know, whatever. And I said, you know, I'm so tired of him. I can't believe he's criticizing all the time, blah, blah, blah. And he says, in the end, he goes, and he says that the last thing is Bob Random is the best superintendent ever met. I said, that guy's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> It's, you know, I, uh, you got to appreciate somebody that gives you their opinion. You know? Yeah, no, it was good. So I mean, I always tell that story to people. I said, yeah, that look, I got my name in that book, which was good. But Tom, he really was amazing how smart he was. I used to sit there. He has his recollection of all the clubs that he sees in every golf hall, everything that he remembers about him. Just isn't it mind boggling when you talk to him? Yeah, he doesn't forget anything. 
you know, no, and it, he'll great. even be, he'll like, you know, I'll ask him a question sometimes, you know, this is like, you know, sometimes off air, if I, if I go up to see him, we grab lunch or something and I'll ask him a question and he'll be like, oh, well, I haven't seen that place in 30 years. And then he'll like rattle off like five <laughs> things that I didn't notice. And I spent <laughs> two days there last week you know and it's, it's like it's amazing. you're just like oh my god this just uh, you know it, it, the caveat beforehand i've always like well i haven't seen it in x amount of years but but well that's what i said when i told you the story about how we met and the day way it went i said it probably this is the way bob Rainham remembers it but i'm sure tom remembers it a lot better than i do <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh but um all right bob it's uh look forward to meeting you one of these days and thanks yeah, so much I'm for the to... time. Uh, no and... problem. Glad I had a good time chatting with you. Yeah. And hopefully uh, I, yeah, I'm excited to see your full itinerary, whatever you get it to be. And I'll be sending you pictures. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Bob. All right, man. <laughs>